0: Welcome to NSN Daily. Shannon Kelly joining us from outside Sam Boyd Stadium there in Las Vegas. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio, Jenna Holland directing behind the scenes. Plenty to talk about today. We're going to have the biggest San Jose State fan that I know, our dear friend Ryan Kern, former news sport anchor, is going to join us from his home in Boston to talk about uh, what's it like being a Spartan fan in a town that does not care about San Jose State. Uh, Alex Margulies is going to join us from Phoenix. He's in Arizona. He'll be on the play-by-play call tonight for Nevada versus Grand Canyon men's basketball and uh, we'll have our dollar loan center money play of the the week but uh, let's start off with Shannon who is down in Las Vegas for tonight's game uh, Nevada uh, against San Jose State at Sam Boyd Stadium which is still Mm -hmm. just bizarre very 2020 (laughs) to think Shannon but uh, how's the flight how's the trip it's nice uh, to be back in your hometown.
1: Yeah it feels great as always yeah just touched down here and Crazy to think we're back at Sam Boyd again. This is the third game now. Nevada will play in Las Vegas this year. The second at Sam Boyd. They just played New Mexico here less than a month ago, but it felt weird driving up because the last time I was here was two years ago when Nevada fell to UNLV and UNLV took the Fremont Cannon from the uh, from the pack. So it was just it's just weird weird memories. As I was driving back here, I can only imagine what it was like for some of the guys the last time they came back here. You know, not playing UNLV and playing New Mexico here, and then now back again playing San Jose State tonight for arguably the biggest game of the season. Uh, It's crazy to think when they did start back in October, finally for Mountain West Conference play, that this if everything would come down to this game tonight, we're in December playing Mountain West football still. So it's been a weird year, just like everything, but uh, we're going to be in for a great one tonight
2: kind of become the hub of the Mountain West football season you got New Mexico kind of made that home mm-hmm. the States made that home obviously UNLV down there Nevada mm-hmm. third game down there uh, do you think it might even be a, an advantage for the Wolf for this game to be played in Las Vegas I mean San Jose State came back from Hawaii um, mm-hmm. you know fly back to a place that they hadn't been to this year and try and get ready for a game I mean it certainly doesn't feel like it's going to shake Nevada to have to go to Las Vegas to play a game
1: yeah, I don't think so. I mean, when you look at ever, you know, who else, where else they could have been maybe, you know, a neutral site game somewhere else, but to be back here again. Yeah. I think they do come in as they have a slight advantage here because they were just here a couple weeks ago. They know what it's like, you know, Carson strong, he's thrown the ball around here a couple times, you know, against New Mexico. So they know what it's going to be like and to be playing a different team in these neutral site games. So I think they do have an advantage coming into this one and, yeah, it's weird to think that when they went to Hawaii, that was their only regular season game out of the state of Nevada. So to think that they played all of their games here, uh, whether at Mackey Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, or now Sam Boyd Stadium is pretty wild to think.
0: It's bizarre that Nevada could go 3-0 and in Las Vegas this year, mm-hmm. and that doesn't include the Las Vegas Bowl. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's just weird to me. Uh, Chris, uh, to push to the website and the story that you uh, eloquently wrote uh, about Toa Tawa. So that will be a big factor in this game tonight. But this young man has so much more on his mind than just being a football player and being one of the main cogs of this Nevada offense. He is a very, very recent new daddy.
2: Yeah, the due date for the child was actually two days ago, but uh, came about three weeks early. So walked him uh, a baby last month. And obviously anybody who's uh, been a parent knows the stresses of being a first-time parent and the sleep deprivation and all that kind of stuff. So he's been able to juggle that being obviously a full-time student. And also the athletic responsibilities that he has, but he's been an unheralded part of this offense. Obviously, Nevada's throwing the ball a ton more. About sixty percent of their plays are uh, through the air. Last year was about fifty percent, and a lot of the you know acclaim has gone to Carson Strong and Romeo Dubs and Cole Turner and now Torrey Horton. But I think Toe is so important to this offense because not only he gives them a little bit of balance with that run game, and he's averaging about a yard and a half more per carry this year than last year, but he's also huge in the the pass uh, blocking game. Uh, He does have a couple of receptions a game usually, but, um, you know, his responsibility to pick up those blitzes is so important. And he's been able to do that, which has given Carson strong time to get the ball down the field on these deep routes. If you don't have a good uh, pass blocking running back, you can't do those kinds of things. So, uh, you know, in addition to everything he's doing on the field, uh, he's also going through the whirlwind of becoming a parent very thankfully for him his mom and dad moved to the reno area from southern california last year so he's got a little bit of extra you know babysitting uh, duties if he needs it with his mom and dad but uh yeah talked to him a little bit about that this week and uh you know he said he's managing it as best as he can
0: yeah i mean he, he certainly has the family support in the area i mean mm-hmm. brother vi is here mom and dad are here so, so he, he's lucky that way to be able to have to lean on family and and of course that's what you what you need to do in a time when When you're trying to raise a child, I mean, having the grandparents around is is absolutely huge. And I have never met a set of grandparents that go, oh, no, we don't want to watch the baby. I mean, usually (laughs) it's they really want to watch the baby. Shannon, being a former student athlete yourself at the University of Mm -hmm. Nevada, could you imagine being a junior in college and having a baby and trying to play softball? (laughs)
1: That would be really tough. Uh, Something I've never thought of, but that would be very, very tough. I mean, so props to him and the other student athletes who have done that. Uh, I know there's been been some that throughout my time at the school as well, some that had children as well. And I don't know how they've done it, but there's props. There's something to be said about that as well, because that's a full-time job in itself. So it's like you're almost having three full-time jobs, being a student, being an athlete and being a parent. I don't know that would be. That would be a lot and um, yeah, it's tough, I would imagine.
0: Chris, let's get to your three keys in a prediction.
2: Yeah, key number one for me in this game starts with Nevada's defensive line. Uh, San Jose State's offensive line is very, very good. They've only allowed four sacks in five games, and uh, they have some very dangerous wide receivers. And Nick Starkle is a transfer from the SEC, so he's a very good quarterback. So, Nevada's defensive line has to get a pass rush against mm-hmm. Starkle. If he's not able to, I think Starkle is going to have a lot of success against the Wolfpack secondary. So, watch those four big guys up front. And if they're able to get Starkle and get him off balance, that's huge. Uh, key number two is that red zone defense. We've talked a lot about Nevada's red zone offense, uh, but San 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 Jose State has scored touchdowns on 13 of its 18 times into the red zone. That's 72%. The national average is around 50%. So San Jose State's done a tremendous job of cashing in those red zone opportunities in the touchdowns. So if Nevada can force some field goals, in those situations, they might be able to San Jose State behind their 30 points per game that they average on the year. And then number three, I mean, for Nevada, just keep those big passing plays coming. Uh, San Jose State's uh, defense has been tremendous this year. You're talking about them only allowing 17 points per game. That's 12th best in the nation. Uh, but four of the five teams they've played are really run-heavy teams. They have not faced a passing offense like you're going to see with the Wolfpack. I don't think Nevada's going to be able to run the ball. But I do think they'll have a lot of success through the air. And if they have those 40, 50 yard plays like we've seen the last couple of games and really the entire season they're going to have a ton of success. So uh, the end, uh, the prediction, I am picking Nevada. Nevada is a two and a half point underdog, but I'm picking mm-hmm. the Wolf to win by two points, uh, 30 to 28. Uh, San Jose state's been through a lot with their travel going out to Hawaii, then relocating mm-hmm. to Las Vegas, having a short week with the game on Friday, having finals that they're going through. So I think Nevada's past game is going to win out. I think it's going to be a really close classic kind of game, but I am picking the Wolf back to win by two.
0: Shannon, what's your feel on this one?
1: Yeah, I think it is going to come down. It's going to be a close game out here, but I think Nevada can come out on top, and I think that they will. I think what they need to start fast, they need to start strong. Carson Strong needs to get the ball in the air early and not let the defense, you know, take advantage of, of him because, If they get behind, I don't see like that's going to be tough to recover because of how strong San Jose State's defense is. I mean, both of these programs are fighting for more than just a victory today. And I think it was important how head coach Jay Norvell stressed earlier this week that they need to just take this one game at a time and not focus on the bigger picture. And he said ever since COVID that. You know, we really have made our focus short-term. They can't afford to look beyond what's going on tonight, and they're in control of their own destiny in Nevada, although they do need some help. But still, they have to take care of business here tonight and put their focus here first. And this is a tough San Jose State team. I mean, they're undefeated. Some may say, hey, they're only undefeated in conference, but I don't think that matters. Not many teams are undefeated. There's less than 10, I want to say, right now, in college football and Division One that are undefeated. So to be able to come out here and to put put it to the part put it to the Spartans excuse me uh, they're going to have to do that tonight but I think it is going to be a close matchup out here and we're going to be in for a good one
0: yeah I agree with you I, th- I think this might be the week that all the travel and all of the COVID and all of the problems and all of the adjusting maybe catches up with San Jose State I mean they've they've done well but now they're facing a team that can really throw the ball around the yard and it can also run the football really really well in Nevada and I think Nevada is familiar with the digs there at Spartan, at, uh, not Spartan Stadium, but at Sam Boyd Stadium. But uh, uh, Chris, you and I are real close with this one this week. I've got 34-31 Nevada in this one. Shannon, appreciate the time, and we'll be looking forward to your coverage tonight.
1: Thank you guys for having me.
0: Coming up next, I hope that's not your ride in the background. Coming up next <laughs> on NSN Daily, Ryan Kern will <laughs> join us from Boston to get to some insight from a Spartan fan. That's next. Well, we will be Nevada and San Jose State, depending on what time you're watching this show tonight. And uh, joining us, our favorite Fighting Spartan, former News 4 anchor, and dear friend of ours who we miss terribly every day. Now he's making his residence in the beautiful city of Boston. Ryan Kern joining us. Ryan, the mustache game is strong. Uh, all right, move to your right to show it off. Lean to right. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, did yeah, you yeah.
3: did you guys did
0: you catch the world series this year uh well i didn't catch covid like one of your players did
3: <laughs> i got nothing to do with that yeah I got nothing to say i got no comment oh but
0: i just got just no comment, comment but I, just give us a
3: i can't talk about it
0: yeah, yeah 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 anyhow uh how you been man
3: what's going on i'm good i appreciate the mustache comment i started growing this out uh when my beloved jacksonville jaguars named gardner Minshew the starting quarterback uh about a year and four months ago and He's not sticking around, but the mustache is. I can tell you that much. It's been a rough. I, it's been a rough fanhood.
0: Chris, I don't know how. Uh, I mean, a significant other would allow that mustache. Granted, you're in Boston. You're in one of those classic cities where men have mustaches. Chicago, Boston, New York, maybe, uh, maybe even throwing a Detroit there or something like that. I don't know. I don't, Chris. Would your wife allow? I know she she doesn't even really like the beard that much, does she?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a beard, so I think she would allow a mustache. Uh, I don't know. uh, I mean,
3: you're underestimating the creepiness of (laughs) a standalone mustache, man. Yeah, oh, no, it's, um,
2: it's, it's I do want to ask about Ryan's fanhood. So we're a Jaguars fan, a Dodgers fan, and a San Jose State Spartans fan? Uh, <laughs> He's from LA. How did we collect all of these? Well, Jacksonville, though. How did the Jaguars come about?
3: Right. So my favorite saying when people ask me this question is that I've never even been to the entire state of Florida, which which <laughs> throws in the whole other wrinkle. I'm a Jaguars fan because I'm a, I'm a Lakers fan, I'm a Dodgers fan, I'm a UCLA fan, then I went to San Jose State, but growing up, no football team. And as a UCLA fan, we didn't really have a football team either, ever. Still pretty much don't. Um, but there was one year, one magical year, when Maurice Jones-Drew and Mercedes Lewis were just just <laughs> killing it in LA. They only lost to USC, I think, that season by 35 points. It was, it was magical. It was awesome. And uh, that year, they both got drafted to the Jaguars. Same draft, same exact year. And we all just said, all right, we'll, we'll root <laughs> these guys on. And the rest of my family's gone over to the Rams, and I'm, I'm still uh, – I'm still miserable. But hey, you know what? As far as sports go, it's not all that bad. (laughs) Uh,
0: I thought you were going to tell us you were, uh, you know, just a big fan of Mark Brunel or something. But uh,
3: Uh,
0: let's get to this matchup tonight. Uh, San Jose State hasn't had a record like this since uh, literally before World War II. Um, What does this mean to you guys as San Jose State fans, graduates? We had uh, the great Justin Allegri voice of uh, San Jose State on yesterday. He's always a great Great interview uh, and plenty of insight. But you being a fan, what does this mean?
3: Yeah, it was it was 2012 when David Fales took over at San Jose State, and they ended 21st. And the coaches' poll and the AP poll went on to win a bowl game. They only lost by Stanford to three points in at Stanford that year, and that was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening because the two previous years that I was there, 2010, 2011, they won a combined five games. We had guys named Jordan Lasekla and Matt Faulkner throwing the ball, and God bless him, but Jordan LaSecla is literally the name of our fantasy football last place trophy. It, 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 <laughs> times were tough. One game they won that year, and then and then they won five games the next year. Excuse me, they won six games in those two years. And if San Jose State beats Nevada this week, then then they replicate in one shortened season plus canceled games, what I saw my Spartans do in two full seasons. So uh, it's, 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 you know, it's a joke. And, but it's, it's, it's very well known that San Jose State football is, is not the cream of the crop. It's not the elite, but right now they are. The quarterback is awesome. The offense is awesome. The offensive line is awesome. The head coach is awesome. Um, I hope that they keep him around for at least a couple more years, but yeah, it's, it's just really exciting to finally be like, ah, I can wear this hat. And even though no one in Boston knows what the heck it is, I'm still full of pride.
2: So you're picking San Jose State for this game? It sounds like if everybody's awesome, then there's no way that they're gonna.
3: <laughs> I've got to, I've got to pick them. No, it's you know, Chris. It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, I, I think I, I honestly don't know. There's obviously the whole travel component, and and that's gotta. You you think it's gotta catch up with them, and maybe in a regular season, it would at this point. But considering you know, there's six games, and and this is number six. Um, you know, you tell me. I it, it's funny. It, I don't know Nevada and the Mountain West as well as you guys obviously do outside of San Jose State, but it seems like this matchup is from like an offensive standpoint, just the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers kind of grouped together. This is like, it seems like the most even matchup San Jose State has had this season. Is that, is that what you guys are seeing in Nevada as well?
0: Yeah, I, I think definitely. I mean, this, Chris wrote about it this morning. Uh, on Nevada you can catch his three keys and prediction and in more depth, that this game could be a classic I mean this could be one of those where you've got two teams that have such similar uh, like history in the last few years with Brandon and Norvell hired the same year they both got extensions in the offseason and they're now they've got their guys in position to make plays so yeah I I, I see this as a very even matchup Chris
2: oh yeah 100 percent I mean you even go back to uh, David Fales, as uh, you know Ryan mentioned uh, you know Nevada had Colin Kaepernick and they had that great year in the early part of the 2010s and then they through the shift moving into the mountain west and it's difficult at first and then you have to change coaches and then you make a good coaching hire and uh you kind of begin this ascent now one of these schools will be going into the mountain west championship game and it really depends on who wins obviously boise state uh, and the tiebreaker situation can change some things but uh, very very similar stories between these two schools they're both lower budget schools they're they're overachieving so uh You know, a lot of great things to allow, you know, you, you mentioned briefly your experience of watching San Jose state football, Uh, not the most success when you were there, but what is kind of the vibe there with athletics? Obviously it's heavily funded by the students, uh, you know, with the student fees, it's not, you know, hugely supported with, you know, fans going to games and stuff like that, but they're renovating their football stadium. They seem to be heading in the right direction there. And uh, the basketball team's even undefeated one and Oh, Fresno Pacific. We got two undefeated teams so far.
3: Yeah, you brought that up before I could. I was going to say we're fully uh, undefeated. No, it's, yeah, it's it's an unfortunate season given that um, especially these last two games can't be in San Jose because contrary to the statement you just made, I'm, I'm pretty sure San Jose State leads the country in student fan attendance, um, but uh, that was a complete joke. There's like five of us <laughs> that show up each year. Um, uh, but hey, you know, prove it wrong. You can't prove it wrong in these last two games. If it was played in San Jose, the stands would have been packed. It would have been no empty seat in the house. Um, probably not. But uh, as, as a fan, yeah, it's, it's just interesting trying to, you know what the biggest challenge is, is not having this, the stadium on campus. That was the biggest challenge of getting students there. You literally had to take a bus to get there. And um, so, you know, when the, when the record's good in 2012, I was in Reno. I was my first year in Reno, so I wasn't able to go to any home games. But from what I understood, you know, hey, a good team kind of tops all challenges. But again, when he got LaSecla, you know, just slinging it for one win against Southern Utah Thunderbirds uh, in 2010, uh, it just doesn't work out as well.
0: Now, uh, Ryan Kern joining us from his home in Boston. Uh... Obviously, San Jose State grad and fan uh, was an anchor with us at News 4 in Reno. But, uh, uh, Ryan, when, when you walk around in Boston with SJSU, maybe not the hat because you can read San Jose State. What, what, do you get a reaction from anybody? People go, what is SJSU?
3: What is that? Do people understand what that is? One time. One time someone acknowledged my existence. I, we live one mile from Fenway. Uh, when we moved here, you know, my girlfriend was like, I want, you know, I want this in a place and this and this. I said, "I just want to walk to Fenway. I want to walk to a baseball game. Never been able to do that from Los Angeles. You don't get to do that. You can't just cruise out of your front door and go to a Dodger game. So I wanted that. And so I actually go on runs to the Fenway neighborhood. And sometimes I wear my San Jose State football shirt. And uh, I, I went on a run and I stopped at my endpoint, and I went to turn around and a guy was standing there with his mouth dropped. And I started looking at him because I knew exactly what was going on. He goes, San Jose State? I was like, yeah, Spartans. Yeah, baby. I was like, you live here? He was like, no, I'm visiting my daughter from California. And I was like, oh, okay. So no one in Boston knows what this is. That guy just happened to be in the right place at the right time. No, no, no one knows what this is. And until the Dodgers uh, traded for Mookie Betts, no one really cared about Dodger fans either. You went to a a Dodgers-Red Sox game a couple of years ago before the Betts trade and before the World Series. And you're just like basically a ghost at Fenway Park. If you're a Dodger fan. you're like, yeah, you're just like, yeah, I mean, whatever. But now with the Mookie trade, people, people don't say anything to you, but you can just see it in their eyes. It's just, (laughs) it's just sadness and depression every time they walk past you.
2: I kind of want to keep going down this Dodgers train, but uh, I will, I will defer. I I do want to talk about your podcast series, Finding Faces. Uh, I want to give you a a chance to talk about that and you know tell our, our viewers what that series is all about and all the work that you put into it.
3: Uh, thank you so much for for providing me the platform to do so I really appreciate that yeah Finding Faces it's been it's been a year and a half long uh, audio documentary that we've been putting together and uh, the finale of season one comes out uh, next Wednesday episode 12 and for anyone who doesn't know about it um, there's basically uh, a virtual wall of pictures of all 58,000 plus who died in Vietnam for America. Um, and there's around 100 of their pictures are missing after 20 years of searching for the photos. And so a year and a half ago in Massachusetts, when we started looking for pictures, there were 30 missing out of all of New England. And so our first season is uh, is uh, the documentary of us finding those last uh, pictures and then finding their family members and helping them resolve any unanswered questions or investigations that they've been holding on to for 50 years that they haven't been able to figure out on their own. And it's it's been beyond rewarding, beyond rewarding.
0: Brian and I have both been uh, been privileged enough to go on the honor flights uh, trips out of Reno. You went on many more than I did. How many total did you go on,
3: right? I think it was like a dozen, may- maybe maybe ten. Um, but like you, Samudio, you know they invite you on one, and and you're hooked. You're a part of the family. And I, I was fortunate to just kind of keep keep doing it after that. Yeah, amazing organization. And and there how this all this started. I was with Honor Flight Nevada in Washington D.C. We were at the Wall. Someone from the Wall told me about their effort to collect pictures and five years later, I was finally able to make something out of it.
0: It's amazing how so one one little spark can turn into that fire. And and it just, it, it just runs. And it's such an incredible community with Hunter Flight across the country, Honor Flight, Nevada, obviously here in northern Nevada. But uh, before we let you go, uh, COVID-19 has changed everything we're doing. How is it living in a big city like Boston right now?
3: It's interesting because here on the East Coast, obviously everything is so close together, unlike the West Coast. I mean, you can drive How many hours in California and still be in California? I don't know, 14, 15 hours. But here on the East Coast, you get to see all these different communities and all these different states. And we have family um, in New Jersey. If you walk around Boston without a mask on, you are a jerk, You're, you're a jerk. And if you walk around the shore of New Jersey with a mask on, you're a freak. What are you doing? Why are you wearing that thing? So it's really interesting to see the differences in all of that. But obviously, as far as small businesses goes and our lives and transportation and people working from home, it's all the same everywhere. And it's it's really devastating to see even my little neighborhood here in Coolidge Corner. Um, some stores go out of business that have been here longer than I've been here, longer than I've been alive. Um, our local sports bar opened in 1988, a year before I was born, and they're hanging in there. But... Um, you know, we're starting to reverse again. So it's, it's still crushing, especially in any big city. Uh, but that's the difference between East Coast and West Coast, I think, is that wherever you go, it's, it's a little different as far as people's perceptions. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's still an issue, obviously, and it's going to be that way. So so we're making do, and the city of Boston is doing well, and numbers are, you know, for, as far as a big city goes, they're not the worst. Uh, but it's a big city, so we got to be careful.
0: I'll give you a final credit on uh, the bobblehead over your left shoulder Mr. John Ramey hanging out, yes. filling up on the shelf. We showed there this is. last
3: time. There he is. There he is.
0: John Ramey in the Aces jersey. Uh, that's Mayor Martini.
3: Mayor Martini, but He's over here with John Ramey. Is it not, though? Look at this. Yeah, okay. Is it not John okay.
0: Ramey? Okay. I thought I was going to say, I have that bubble head on my desk. We were talking before the show. I go, is that Gino Martini? He goes, no, it's John Ramey. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ryan, we appreciate your time, man. Uh, how can people uh, find your podcast?
3: listen to podcast apple podcast spotify stitcher um stork media is the company um, that we've partnered with uh, to produce it to so storkmedia.com uh, finding faces again season one is coming to an end this wednesday 12 episodes very binge worthy uh, it sounds like a very serious topic and it is um and there's every range of emotions i try and give you some laughs along the way whenever i can
0: ryan kern coming to us from boston one of our dear friends buddy it's good to see you good to see you guys thank you so much
3: go spartans undefeated 2020 <laughs> Dodgers, Lakers, Spartans, my goodness. What is Running out of time. Coming up next here on NSN Daily. Let me, <laughs> let me finish my
0: show. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll talk with Alex Margulies, who is in Phoenix, Arizona, for Nevada's basketball matchup against Grand Canyon. We'll have that next. Well, not to be forgotten, Nevada men's basketball uh, with a nice uh, nice matchup tonight against Grand Canyon. This is a 6 p.m tip off down there in Phoenix and that's where we find Alex Margulis hanging out to in the hotel room being safe and uh, you know I mean we'll talk about some of the food options there in Phoenix in a second here Alex because our our sales uh, manager Ben Maggio tipped us off because he's a Midwestern guy to a restaurant that you and I both love and there are two of them in Phoenix but Phoenix is so freaking huge it's going to take you an hour to get to one of these but uh, let's get into this matchup First off, uh, you were telling us before we came on the air, Grand Canyon, uh, they've got some size down low.
4: Yeah, and and I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup for Nevada. This is going to be a big game for Warren Washington, K.J. Himes, Robbie Robinson. Uh, Nevada's going to be tested down low like I think they really haven't been this year. Uh, Alessandro Lever, a senior out of Italy, uh, is really the guy who makes things go for for Grand Canyon. He's one of the best players in school history, actually, and uh, a a second team all-wax selection last year. He's seven feet tall. Uh, and then they've got another guy out of Denmark, Asbjorn uh, who also can, can do some work down low. He's actually uh, from Wichita State. So him and Grant Sherfield uh, probably crossed paths at some point, but they got two guys down low that can really make baskets. They shoot at a really high efficiency, uh, well over 50%. And so there's there's no disguising what Grand Canyon is going to want to do. It's going to want to get the ball inside and, and we'll see if you know, Warren Washington, K.J. Himes and, and, and Meeks and those guys are up, up for the challenge. And I think that will be something certainly uh, to pay attention to in this game.
2: What have been your thoughts on Nevada just through these first five games so far? I mean, obviously a really good win against Nebraska. They've won away from home. They had that lopsided loss to USF. But, uh, you know, just basically, you know, maybe about a tenth of the way through the season, how you're feeling about this team?
4: You know, I think it's a team that's still trying to figure out who they are. You know, there's just so many new pieces, and and you get Grant Sherfield in there, and Warren Washington, and Desmond Cambridge. I, I think it's a group that is still trying to feel its way uh, through. Okay, who are the guy? Who's the guy on this team? And I think it's Grant Sherfield. Obviously, he's been fantastic. He's averaged, uh, you know, almost 15 points a game. He's he's been in double figures in every single one of Nevada's contests. So I think you've got Sherfield kind of leading the way, and then. You know, I think Nevada is expecting a guy like Desmond Cambridge. We've talked about him for a long time as being somebody that's going to be a big scorer. Haven't really seen it quite yet from, from Cambridge. And, you know, Coach Alford talks a lot about the fact that he and Warren Washington have not played meaningful basketball in a very long time. And So they're being patient with them. But I think you're seeing a group that, that likes playing with each other. They're definitely going to be defensive minded. And I think in order for them to have success this year, You know, Coach Alford has made really no secret that they're going to have to play really, really good defense. And the games that they have defended at an elite level, you know, they've come away with wins. And, and, you know, their lone loss to San Francisco, they did not defend very well. And frankly, they couldn't score. And it just kind of kept piling on um, from there. So I I think there's a lot of uncertainty still with this team. It's obviously a very young group. You know, there's really no experience uh, on this team as far as upperclassmen you know they're the only uh, one senior and and he's a walk-on um so they're, they're a young team still trying to figure things out and I'm curious for me you know I was talking the other day really curious what Steve Alford does with this group between now and the end of the season like what kind of development do we see with these guys and how many strides do we see them take and, and how much do we see them improve uh as the season goes on
0: Alex you and I have traveled to cover games dozens of times together and you know, this is a little bit different in a couple of different ways. I mean, uh, this time you're not just covering the game, you're you're doing the play-by-play. So you you have other responsibilities and, and things to do, and you're doing it in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, can you take us underneath the headset? Uh, what's it been like so far? I know you haven't been in the arena yet, but what's it been like so far, and what do you expect? What can you do? What are you being told you cannot do? How do you think this is going to be different trying to do your job in the middle of COVID-19?
4: Yeah. I mean, it's a different process. You know, normally I would meet with coach Alford, you know, the day of the game, we'd sit and have a conversation and I'd record an interview with him. We'll do that on the phone instead. You know, I'm not, uh, I am in the same hotel as the team, but I'm not, you know, allowed to, you know, be in their bubble quote unquote, you know, they've got their very strict testing protocols. So I'm outside of the bubble as somebody uh, that's filling in for, for John Ramey on this one. So, uh, separate from them, you know, as opposed to being down on the floor, being courtside for the game, they're going to have me up uh, kind of in the concourse level, I've been told that there actually are full partitions on every side of, of my, you know, booth, I guess you could call it, uh, which will allow me to be able to broadcast the game without a mask if I choose to do so. So that's nice not to have to wear a mask during a game and, and coming off of a, a flight for two hours wearing a mask. That was not very fun, uh, to be honest, having that thing on and it was a little suffocating. Um, but it's just different. Like even the post game interview, you know, we would normally have uh, assistant coach Bill Dwayne He's going to do that game interview tonight normally he'd walk up he'd come sit down put the headset on and said he's going to call into the radio station and um, they'll patch him through that way and we'll talk to him o- over the cell phone so you know just kind of adjusting to the distance you know I, I would normally be able to go to shoot arounds you know and-, and go watch that and-, and and see how the team's preparing and-, and you know that is always a nice insight to have to be able to see how the team is preparing and give me a little bit of an idea how they're going to play So it does leave me a little bit more uh, kind of adjusting on the fly. Um, But, you know, I've done plenty of games to kind of know what to expect. And and once the headset goes on, you know, it's just part of the part of the deal. And, um, you know, for me, I'm just excited to have the opportunity. It was something that kind of came up last minute here. But I I always enjoy the opportunities to fill in on on Nevada basketball, baseball. You know, it's something I've been doing since 2012 and and, um, something I definitely enjoy very much.
2: You mentioned the offense versus the defense with this team, obviously Nevada, a little bit further ahead defensively. I think the offensive issue is not to put it all on Desmond Cambridge, but he hasn't, you know, played as maybe a lot of people would have expected. He's averaging nine points per game, shooting thirty-four percent from the field, only 18 per three, and he's taken almost seven threes per game. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he sat out last year. So there's some rust. We've seen Warren Washington come along. Grant sherfield has been good among those transfers. What do you think needs to happen for him to be a little bit more productive and give a little bit more boost to that offense? Because they envisioned
4: him as the leading scorer on this year's team. I think it's just minutes. Like, I feel like the more minutes he's getting, he's just going to get more comfortable. Like, you have to feel like the production that you saw from him at Brown, you know, a guy that was one of the top scorers in the Ivy League. You know, if you can score, you can score anywhere. And, and you know, we did talk about this before the season. What what was that jump going to be like for, for Desmond Cambridge, going from the Ivy League to playing uh, at a higher level? And, and we've seen that adjustment be difficult for guys at times. We saw that be difficult for a guy like Leland King. We saw that uh, be difficult in, in his first season for a guy like Nisre Zuzwa. But I think there still is a lot of confidence that Desmond Cambridge is going to be exactly what Nevada thought he was. I think it's just a matter of getting out there playing and maybe it's one night. Maybe it's tonight. Maybe he goes out there and scores 20 points and just gets into a rhythm. Hits a couple good shots from the outside and just gets that flow back. And I think, you know, when you're a shooter and you're a guy like that, once you get kind of that rhythm back, you know, then you're kind of off and running. You've got that confidence. So I think he just needs that that breakout game where, where things are just flowing, shots are going down. You know, he's able to get into the rhythm of the game early. And, and I think certainly, like you said, for Nevada, they need it. They need him to uh, be that pred- – productive presence on offense is now all of a sudden if Desmond Cambridge is a guy that's scoring 18 points a game with Grant Shurfield and Zane Meeks what he's doing and uh the other cast of characters Warren Washington now all of a sudden you've got a team that you know can definitely win a lot of basketball games
0: it's going to be an odd environment in the gym tonight because Grand Canyon has a fan base of students that are absolutely rabid and uh, Nevada saw that last time they went down there and played in Phoenix against the lopes. But this time around, what's the fan situation in Phoenix? Are they gonna allow anybody in the building? Is it gonna be zero? Is it five percent? I mean this is gonna be one of those nights that Nevada needs to bring their own juice.
4: Yeah, as far as I understand it, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive they're allowing 250 students. Okay. So just students. I imagine maybe there's there's the exception to of maybe allowing some parents and and like kind of like Nevada does, you know, you get some friends and family but otherwise I think it's limited to just students so they want to get those kids in there and get them loud and, and I'm sure they'll they'll be bringing some kind of a presence and I think for the players for Nevada I'm sure they'll be thrilled just to play in front of somebody you know instead of playing in a totally empty gym at least getting 250 people it's going to feel like there's some kind of energy to draw from and I can't imagine you know going out there and having to, to play a meaningful college basketball game in front of no fans so I think They'll look forward to the opportunity, a rare probably opportunity this season to play in front of any fans at all.
2: And I wonder if they'll be parents of the Wolfpack players. I mean, three of them from the Phoenix area, KJ, Alan Husenovich, and DeAndre Henry going back home to play a game. So hopefully they'll be able to have them out there. There's another freshman uh, who just entered the starting lineup with Trey Coleman. Uh, What did you think of coach uh, Alford making that decision to change up the starting lineup
4: a little bit, putting Trey
2: in there and putting Zane Meeks in there in place of Kane Milling and KJ Himes?
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. I think, you know, he speaks volumes about about Trey Coleman. He's a player that uh, Coach Alford and this staff is really excited about. I mean, he's a player from, from Indiana, which they obviously have huge roots in. And they said they're always going to have roots in Indiana. And they're going to go recruit there every single year. And he was an Indiana All-Star. And so with that, you know, in, in their mind comes a player that's more maybe developed in other places has a really good understanding of the game. And, and you saw Trey Coleman in his very first appearance with the Wolfpack coming off the bench scoring in, in double figures. And he was almost perfect uh, from the field. He's been shooting at a super high percentage. Um, so I, I think I'm excited to see Trey Coleman continue to develop. And then, you know, Zane Meeks has been great. You know, he was outstanding off the bench. He had a career game against Pacific, uh, his first ever double double, and he's definitely been a big scoring threat. And so, you know, I think it's a way to kind of mix and match. And and I think you can kind of move those guys around, whether they're starting or coming off the bench. I'm not sure it matters, but I think that is a pretty nice signal for Trey Coleman. Uh, Your head coach trusts you to start as a true freshman this early on in your career. I think that that kind of speaks volumes about where he is at in his development. And I think Trey Coleman's a guy that that this staff really thinks has a, a bright future.
0: Trey's been my favorite player to watch so far this year because even as a freshman, a very young player, he's got an edge to him. I think he's got a nastiness to him, and he reminds me of a young Kevin Pinkney. Granted, not the size, but just the personality. Kind of a—he's a quiet guy. You don't seem talking a whole lot, but you know there's a lot going on upstairs. Alex, before we let you go, two things. One, I love what you've done with the '70s green carpet on the wall motif there in the in the <laughs> room in downtown. Yes. Phoenix. That, there's a nice awful.
4: art there. You see the, you see yeah. the arts. Wow! Arts. Yes. Did
0: somebody spill something? What is that? Uh, uh, but uh, Portillo's, man, let's get something important. I know.
4: Ben was <laughs> just dropping that there's a Portillo's in Phoenix. It's like twenty minutes away though. Portillo's. If you guys aren't familiar, it's a Chicago uh, Midwest based kind of kind of local chain. There, they make great hot do- You know, Chicago dogs and and uh, Italian beef dips. That's going to be a tough one to turn down. It's not in the direction – like, if it was near the arena, I think it would be a slam dunk. Like, I'd pop over there before the game. But um, I don't know, man. It's 20 minutes in the wrong direction, although I don't have really any plans of anything to do. I'd sign so off. I'm definitely going to have to think about that one.
0: I'll sign off on the Uber.
2: Chris, have yeah, you had – Yeah, I'm going to have, have to before? think about that. Yeah, Wrigley Field uh, for one of the Cubs games when Nevada played at Northwestern, and I have had it before.
4: It's good. It's good. It's so I don't know. We'll see. There's, you know, I'm I'm looking at some food out the window here. You know, I'm definitely getting hungry. So, you know, it looks I'm right here in downtown Phoenix. So maybe I'll go take a walk and and see uh, see what the city's got to offer.
0: Well, you said you, there's like a Seamus O'Mahonians. Yeah, That's something. Some, to some, so,
4: so, so, a Seamus Samudio's over here across the street <laughs> serving uh, Cornish pasties. So uh, that, could, that could be interesting <laughs> well
0: 6 p.m tonight you can listen to alex Margulies on the radio call uh, 94.5 fm what time's the pregame start uh
4: we'll start that a half hour early actually got 94.1 so 94.1. With, uh, football on 94.5 94.1. Uh, basketball will be on 94.1 we'll have a, a half hour pregame show and uh get you set up for tip off nevada trying to beat you know grand canyon hasn't lost a game but they haven't really played anyone either i mean look at their their schedule, like they maybe have played the weakest schedule in college basketball. So we don't really know what they're all about. Uh, we know they're big. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we'll see if Nevada can can pick up another road win, it'd be, it'd be their third of the year, which would be a nice start for them to get to five and one. That'd be a good
0: one tonight. Uh, 94.1 uh, FM. If you want to listen to Alex at uh, 530 with the pregame and tip at six o'clock. Thanks, Al. Appreciate the time. We got it. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Wolfpack women's basketball team with back to back games here on the road over the weekend. We'll tell you how you can listen to them against Sac State next. You know, the squad on campus that's been affected the most uh, by COVID 19 uh, when it comes to scheduling, Chris, has been Nevada women's basketball. The ladies have only been able to get one game in, a one point win over William Jessup. But, you know, in uh, 2020, you've got to adapt and overcome, and they've set up a kind of a back-to-back doubleheader over two days this weekend at Sac State
2: they were scheduled to play Sac State on Saturday. They added a game on Sunday. They were able to do that because their USF season opener was canceled. So they won't go over the maximum number of non-conference games. Uh, We don't know a ton about Sac State at this point. They've already played a back-to-back game with Idaho. They lost both of those. So not the highest level of competition, but yeah, good for Nevada to get back out on the court. Obviously they've only played once this year. That was against uh, NAIA school. So you want to get in a few games against D1 competition before you get into the the thick of that Mountain West schedule. And this will be a nice opportunity to make a short trip, play a couple of games, come back home, and uh, you know have a better feel for where your roster is and where you need to improve and where maybe some of your strengths are that you can try to uh, accentuate.
0: Yeah, Amanda Eleven saw uh, back-to-back games uh, at Air Force, a Friday and a Sunday affair that was supposed to be played December 4th and 6th postponed. So they're going to reschedule those very hopefully. And then Fresno uh, Fresno Pacific comes to town on uh, December 18th. That's at 1 p.m. These, uh, these two games over the weekend will be noon starts if you want to take a listen on the radio at 94.1 FM. We talk about not doing a lot about um, Sac State. Uh, right now, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen enough to know a lot about Nevada. I mean, we just haven't seen them practice or play.
2: Yeah I mean you're talking about one game against a lower level competition uh, you know a sub division one school so um, you know as I've mentioned several times I think it's going to be kind of a rebuilding year obviously it's a very new roster with people in much different roles so uh, you know they'll have to develop as the season go along that's one thing that Amanda Levins does a very good job of I mean she's a very good technical coach so she's going to get her players better as they get that experience and as they start to get a little bit more uh, you know cohesion playing with each other because of the roster turnover in the offseason but you need those games to be able to do it so uh, even if you're playing non division one schools like Fresno Pacific or William Jessup who they open the season with it's still a valuable experience moving forward and it's kind of been cool we've seen the Wolfpack baseball schedule got announced uh, this week we saw the Wolfpack women's golf schedule announced this week so we're starting to see some of these other sports bring along really it's only been football up until the last couple of weeks we've gotten some basketball but be a lot of sports crunched into a short amount of time. All those fall sports are being moved to the spring here. So uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about diversity-wise with these sports, uh, you know, once we get through the Christmas break, because then you're going to see a lot of sports playing all at the same time, and it'll be fun. And hopefully we can do it safely. I think that's the biggest thing from this year is to allow these athletes to have some opportunities to play, but do it in the safest fashion possible, which might mean uh, a number of cancellations throughout the season.
0: So it's Nevada at Sacramento State Women's Basketball noon on Saturday, noon on Sunday. Gotta listen on the radio, 94.1 FM. Coming up extra on NSN Daily. It's Friday, it means it's our Dollar Loan Center money play of the week. Pretty spectacular. That's after the break. It is Friday. That means it's time for your Dollar Loan Center money play of the week. And this time we head out to the pitch. The United States men's national team put a beatdown on El Salvador, winning six to nothing. The game though, definitely highlighted by Chris Mueller making his debut with the team, coming up from Orlando City SC, centering pass and a diving header in the 25th minute. That was a uh, off of a cross. Un- unbelievably scored twice, added two assists. Talk about making a debut, Chris, for the U.S. national team.
2: Yeah, sixth player in the club's history to score multiple goals in his debut on the national team. So can't be much better than that. And the only thing better than the header for a goal is a bicycle kick for a goal. So a very, very impressive athleticism there. Uh, obviously not the stiffest of competition, but uh, yeah, like you said, just a great way to make your debut and kind of introduce yourself on the international stage. It's
0: funny you say bicycle kick. I remember the first time I tried one, I was probably like six years old, missed the ball and it flat on my back and realized I am not a soccer player. I'm not going to do that ever again. Uh, J- JT Marcinkowski, former Reno 1868 FC goalie, now with the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, still on the roster, but didn't get any playing time in this one. I expect him in a friendly to, to get some play.
2: Yeah, he probably will get a little bit of playing time. He's probably the th- third keeper on the roster right now. But, um, you know, you want to get everybody some experience. You don't know with injuries, and especially with COVID-19 uh, in the next year or two, um, you know, whether you're going to have to go to your depth. So he probably will see some playing time, but he's, yeah, he's going to have uh, his work cut out for him to be kind of the primary goaltender uh, for sure.
0: All right, that was your Dollar Loan Center Money Play of the Week. Coming up next here on NSN Daily as we wrap things up, Corey Herzog, very popular and talented player for Reno 1868 before the fold, has a brand-new team. We'll tell you where Corey's headed next. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily, uh, kind of bittersweet to see this news. Corey Herzog, such a great guy with Reno 1868. He has found a new team, Chris, and he's landed in a nice spot. He's in San Diego with the Loyal.
2: Yeah, Landon Donovan, obviously a USA star in soccer, said that he had had his eye on Corey for a while, and obviously with Reno 1868 shuddering, uh, got a chance to sign him. Corey's not moving too far away, and I'm sure he'll have a ton of fun down there in San Diego. Uh, still waiting to see where Ian Russell lands. Obviously the Reno 1868 uh, manager, one of the best in the business, has not signed with the team yet, but I'm sure he'll also be employed heading into next year's soccer season.
0: I want to say thanks to Ryan Kern, Alex Margulies, and Shannon Kelly for coming on the show. Jenna Holland directed behind the scenes. For Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend.